Uh, good morning, and uh, I'll be the third to say it. Happy Mother's Day. We have great moms in this church. Actually, I didn't even think to say this until right now, but uh, I got a phone call the other day. Somebody's moving out uh, from from Alabama or one of those southern states. It's all the same to me. And uh, the, they love their church down there, and they were looking. They're looking for a church, and she called me, and, and we were talking about our church, and I described the demographic of our church, and uh, gave her percentages and everything, and. And she said, well, we're leaving our families, and so our child does need some grandparents. And I guess it's a compliment for the men, too. But I do, I love the fact that that uh, all these babies who are, are being born are going to get multiple moms and dads and, and grandpas and grandmas. And I love that about our church, just knowing uh, that when we have children someday, that, that it, it will be, be a family here that they can grow up in and, and have more than just Bryn and I investing in. So that's awesome. And, and I, I said that to her. I said, well, they'll find grandparents. Uh, so this is the right church if that's what you're looking for. So happy Mother's Day, moms and, and dads. Early happy Father's Day to you. Over the course of the past five sermons, we have been talking about prayer, specifically praying in a way that, that produces results. And uh, we've seen uh, some great things about how we can pray to really uh, get the ear of God and, and to cause God to respond to what we are asking of Him. But we've said throughout, I've said throughout, that you need to remember that God does not always say yes to your prayers. It doesn't matter how you pray. If you do it totally in line with everything Scripture says, sometimes God will say no to the things that you ask. Today, I want to say something very different. I want to say this. I want to say to you, there is a way in which you can pray that is guaranteed 100% of the time to generate results from God. Everybody's going, yes, million dollars. Sweet, I'm going to finally win the lottery. And that is not going to be true, I'm sorry. But there is a way in which we can pray that, that is guaranteed in the Bible that we will see God say yes to us. Now, uh, nothing I say this morning will, will throw away anything I've said over the past five weeks. Uh, we still need to be focused on remembering that when we pray, it should be most uh, about the worship of God. We talked about that in week one. In week two, we talked about how when we pray, we need to remember that we are praying not to just to some entity, some being that's way out there, but instead to a Heavenly Father who loves us and cares about us. And then we talked about believing in our prayers and how when we believe, it seems that Jesus says that we'll receive more often if we really think that God is going to say yes to our prayers. And we we talked about praying audacious prayers and we talked about praying persistently last week. And this week, we switch gears and we find out, like I said, how we can guarantee that our prayers are going to be answered affirmatively with a yes, positively. Uh, but before we get to that, before we see what Jesus says, the, the story actually begins with a question and a statement. If you were to look at John 14, you see that Thomas, man that we call the doubter, says this, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Now it's interesting because... Jesus is in the middle of this farewell speech. He's telling his disciples everything they need to know before he goes and dies. And he's speaking in spiritual terms, but the disciples don't really understand it. They're thinking in a physical sense. And so he's talking about, hey, you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas is like, Jesus, we don't even know where you're going, so how can we pull it up on Google Maps? I mean, if you just give us an address, then we would know where you're going. And here is what we see Jesus saying back to Thomas. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, another disciple, a guy named Philip, he responds to this, and he says something that I'm sure he thought was just super spiritual. He says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. I can picture Philip making this statement, and just with that kind of high and mighty grin on his face, like, I'll say something Jesus is really going to like here. I mean, it's okay, Jesus, do whatever you want. Just show us the glory of God, and it'll be awesome, and we we don't care about anything else at all. Jesus' response... It's probably not what Philip was expecting. Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the work themselves. Now, here's the interesting part about this. Philip says, I need to see God. And Jesus says, if you're paying attention, you have seen God because you have seen me. You see, Philip's statement is really holy and awesome. I mean, just show me God until you're standing in front of God. Right? I mean, that's offensive at that point when you say something like that. I mean, if you said to somebody like that was a, a famous basketball player, hey, show me a good basketball player and I'll be happy. They would be like, You're an idiot, right? Jesus doesn't drop the you're an idiot line, but that is kind of the response, right? I mean, hey, I just said, like literally two sentences ago, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And now you're saying, just show us the Father and everything will be good. And so Jesus' response is, hey, do you not even know me? I am the Father, the Father's in me. We are one. You have seen God. And then there's this big transition. And it's interesting because Jesus does this throughout the New Testament. Jesus seems to get asked a question often, and then he responds in a way that is unexpected, but is loosely connected. It seems like Jesus listens to people's questions and then says, well, that's a fine question. But let me tell you what's really important. And he connects people's questions. They want to know something that's that's unimportant, really. And he takes it and he connects it and he gives a different answer. And, And this is what Jesus does here. And he teaches us something very important about prayer. But the context is super important for us to understand. First of all, Jesus is telling his disciples that he's about to leave them, okay? That's the the whole deal here in in about five chapters of the book of John. It's all about Jesus leaving what they need to know before he goes. And so there's something that's a problem there for the disciples. Put yourself in the disciples' shoes. They've left literally everything to follow this guy around for a really long time. And now Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going away. The disciples, I'm sure, are going, wait a minute. We're your closest friends. We're your followers. I left my business. I haven't seen my family very much. I gave up all form of income to walk around the countryside with you for the last three years. And now you're telling me, hey, guys, I'm not going to give you a very good explanation, but I'm going to leave for a bit. That's unsettling if you're one of his friends, one of his followers, one of his disciples. Is it not? I mean, you just want to say things like Philip, and you want to say things like Thomas, like, (laughs) we don't know where you're going. Just tell us, we'll come. I mean, we've been following around. Haven't you been paying attention? There's been 12 guys walking around with you everywhere you've went. So now you're saying you're leaving, but we'll go if you'll just tell us where you're going. This is unnerving for the disciples. 
Because they've given up everything to follow Jesus. Now that's even strengthened by the fact that Jesus is really their source of food. I mean, think about this. They're following the guy around, and sometimes Jesus provides miraculously for them, right? But other times, most often in their lives, the way they are eating, finding places to stay, everything about their life is generated through the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is the center of everything they're doing, and money is coming in, and it pays the bills. And now Jesus is saying, see you guys, talk to you later. And probably most central to the the problem the disciples are having in this passage is this. Hey, Jesus, we're supposed to take over the world. I mean, I didn't just pick up and leave everything because it seemed like a good idea. I made an irrational decision in the world's eyes because I thought you were going to overthrow the Romans, that you were going to sit on your throne and rule everything, and I was going to sit right next to you. I mean, these guys think that they have left their businesses, their livelihoods, they've been separated from their families from long periods of time because they are going to do something that is unbelievable and changes the course of world history and sets things right for the Israelite people. And now Jesus is saying, gotta go. See you guys later. I'm not going to tell you where I'm going. And I'm sure in their heads they're thinking things like, as they're processing, like, Did I I do this for nothing? I mean, really? This is the end? Now you're out of here? See you later? Aren't we going to go pick a fight with the Romans? Aren't we going to do something that means something, that, that changes the world, that produces results, that will live far past me, that will help my children and their children? Aren't we going to do something in this world that matters? That's why I left everything to follow you, because I wanted to have a life of meaning and purpose. And now you're going away? And I think this most specifically is in Jesus' mind when we read John 14, 12 through 14, which follows what I just read to you. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. This is a very interesting passage of Scripture. Jesus starts off by saying, Very truly I tell you, which some translations is translated, Verily, verily. And it's just a way of Jesus saying, Pay attention to what I'm about to say. Now that's, that's kind of interesting in and of itself, right? Because generally I think that we should pay attention to everything Jesus said in the Bible. But here Jesus stops and he wants to say something very specific and he wants his disciples to really pay attention to what he is about to say next. And then he says, whoever believes in me. Clearly a reference to Christians. Here at Creekside and in uh, Orthodox Christianity, we believe that a Christian is a person who has given their life to Jesus because they believe that he is the Son of God who came to earth to die on a cross and then he rose again three days later, conquering death and conquering sin for all that will place their faith in him. And so Jesus is not about to say what he's about to say to everybody, but he's about to say it for those who have given their lives to him, those that we today call Christian people. That's important. Because sometimes I think that people think, if I come to Christianity, then life is not going to be the same. It's not going to be good. I'm going to lose a lot of stuff if I really live for this Jesus character that lived a long time ago. But Jesus is saying, hey, if you're one of my followers, then this great thing is promised to you. This amazing 
gift has been given to you. And here's what the gift is. Will do greater works than I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these. This is huge. This is like really, really big statement from Jesus. I mean, think about the life of Jesus. The fact that you know who Jesus is 2,000 years later shows that he did some pretty incredible things. I mean, I want you to try to name another guy that died 2,000 years ago. You could probably name some people in the Bible who were connected to Jesus and maybe a couple other people that are famous in history. But think about that, right? I mean, you have to live a pretty brilliant, amazing Great life in order to be remembered 2,000 years later. The fact that Jesus is being celebrated in churches all around our country this morning says that he did some pretty amazing things. And the Bible shows us some of those things. Like, for example, Jesus fed 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and a few fish. That's pretty pretty big deal. Jesus raised multiple people from the dead. Also a pretty big deal, right? I mean, Jesus was able to heal every sickness that, that he encountered. He chose to heal every sickness that he encountered that we see in the New Testament. There isn't like one time where he says, sorry, I can't do it. So Jesus lives this life full of great, fantastic, amazing works, works that the disciples had seen. And then Jesus makes this statement to him. Those who believe in me will do the works I have been doing, and they'll be doing even greater works. Now, what's really interesting about this is that every commentary I read on this verse felt the need to put a stipulation on this verse right here. And this is, it was always the same. It said something like this. It said, Jesus is not talking about the quality of the work but rather the quantity of the work. And then they would point to the fact that after Jesus died and rose again and ascended into heaven, then immediately we see 3,000 people come to a relationship with Jesus after Peter preaches one sermon. One of his followers preached a sermon. And so they say, well, it's all about the quantity. It's not the quality of the work. It's not the amazing aspects of the work. But here's my problem. First of all, when we start to, to try to put stipulations on the word of Jesus, then sometimes we run the risk of really missing the meaning of what he is saying. My other major issue is that I'm pretty sure Thomas and Philip and the other ten disciples did not, after hearing this, go, Okay, Jesus, I get what you're saying. You're referring to the quantity of the work and not the quality of the work. Right? I mean, I don't read it in the Bible, and I'm pretty sure that's not what took place there. They thought in their mind something like this. He must be going crazy because he's done some really, really incredible things. And I'm pretty sure we could never do those things. Right? I mean, that's the conversation that they're having. Has he gone off the deep end? All of our powers in him. And there's no way. I can't raise somebody from that. That can't happen. What's, what's he talking about? That is the conversation that's taking place. They're not putting stipulations on the words of Jesus. And it is best, usually, to read the Bible in a way that says, what would the first intended audience have understood this like? What did they think? They thought, I'll do more amazing things than Jesus. That's what he's saying. Whether they believed it or not, I'm not sure. So here, the goal for us is to not minimize the words of Jesus. We cannot say, look, this is just about the quality of our, our works, but about the quantity. We must say, Jesus, this is what you're saying. I don't know what all it means, but I know you're saying I can do some pretty incredible things in this life. The disciples have left everything to do something incredible through the power of Jesus. He says, I'm leaving, but he says, hey, good news. You can do even better things without me. I'd like to stop at this point because 
what Jesus says next, kind of the, the heart of what I want to get at today, is all wrapped up in the idea of us living lives that change everything. Us living in a way that produces fruit, that produces results for the glory of God. It's all about these disciples leaving everything to further the kingdom, which is the, the authority and the reign of Jesus on this earth. And what is said next must be taken in the context of us wanting the same things that those disciples wanted. To continue to do things that change the world for the glory of God. And here's my fear as I read to you this next part, which guarantees that our prayers can be answered. It's all wrapped up in us wanting to live lives that mean something even after we have died. But when I look around, the average person, even the average person who calls themselves a Christian... What I find is a bunch of people who don't really care about living lives that matter. I mean, I find people within churches that call themselves devout Christians who want to do the same things in life that everybody else wants to do. It's all about getting up every day, getting by, making sure that the bills are paid, being pretty happy, making sure that you're pretty well liked, making sure that things go pretty smoothly, and that everything is really comfortable and you fulfill the American dream. And what Jesus says next does not matter if that is you. It does not matter. My hope is that you are a person who, who is like the disciples and says, look, I gave my life to Jesus and I did that so that I could avoid hell. But I also did that so that I could live a life that means something. So that, that I can live a life that changes the world, not just for a little bit, but forever. And if that is you, if you have really said, I'm sold out to the idea of being different, of doing something that actually matters, then what Jesus says next is so, so important. And I hope that we are like those 12 men and the others that surrounded them that, that said, okay, I've left everything because I'm a Christian. That's what we do. We follow Jesus. We leave everything. We don't just pray a prayer. We leave everything to follow him. And so, therefore, I want to live a life that matters. I want to live a life that has eternal value. And maybe, maybe you're going, well, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I'm good enough. I don't think that I have the talent enough. I don't think all these things. And that's what Jesus speaks to right now. He says, if you desire a life that's big and world-changing, then I have good news for you. And here's what he says. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. He says, hey, Anything you ask for that brings glory to God, my Father, I'll do. And whatever you ask for, in my name, I will do it. Now here, this in my name, in Jesus' name thing, it's pretty common to say, right? And there's really kind of two sides of how people use in Jesus' name. The first side makes it a magical power. If I throw on in Jesus' name, and usually they don't say in Jesus' name this camp. They say, in the name of Jesus, like that. Then God will do whatever I ask him to do. It makes it like a magical spell. I say whatever I want, and then at the end of it, I say in Jesus' name, or in the name of Jesus, and then Jesus will do whatever I ask. I actually heard one time a man say, you don't ask things for Jesus, you just declare them in Jesus' name, and then they happen. It's a magical formula for some that just says, hey, if you throw in Jesus' name at the end of it, then everything that you ask for will happen. 
That's not true and doesn't fit the context of the passage at all or the context of Scripture or the idea that God does say no to some of our prayers. We've experienced that maybe in our own lives. Now, on the other side of it are people like me, people who would say this is definitely not a magical formula, but I find even in my own prayer life and in most of yours that I've prayed with that we still treat in Jesus' name similarly to people who think it's a magical spell or we treat it as though it has no value at all. We throw it on to the end of almost every prayer, right? I mean, we'll say three prayers, I think, up here this morning. And I think just about every one of them will end with, in Jesus' name, amen. There's really only two options, I think, if you're not really thinking about what that means. Either we're just saying, well, Jesus said that it's magical, and so I better say it at the end of it. I might not believe it, but, you know, I'm going to throw it on just in case. Because if it is magical, then I'm going to do it. Or... We're just saying it, and this is probably closer to the truth. We're just saying it because it's somewhere in the Bible, and that's what people do in traditional prayers. And so we throw it on the end without any meaning whatsoever. It's not magical. It actually doesn't mean anything. Both of these are wrong. In fact, I think for the first time last night, I might have said, in Jesus' name, in a way that meant something at all when I ended my prayer. In Jesus' name is, is something that, that, that is talked about in the Bible in other ways. Let me read you a few verses. Matthew 18:5. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Jesus says that. Matthew 18:20. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Matthew 24, 5. For many will come in my name, claiming that I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. And so when you put these three verses together, you start to see a picture of what it means to do something, anything, not just prayer, in the name of somebody, specifically Jesus. Here's what one author says. What does in someone's name mean? It means to act by proxy on the authority of something or someone greater than yourself. It's a concept that our culture is kind of lost, though it still exists as a storytelling trope. When a medieval herald reads a proclamation in the name of a king or a cop yells at a fleeing thief to stop in the name of the law, that is what they mean. It's a convenient shorthand for I'm not just saying this of myself, I'm speaking with the authority of a higher power. So how does this apply to acting and praying in the name of Christ? It means to act in his place. To pray in the name of Jesus is to pray what Jesus would pray if he were in your position. Did you catch that part? Let me read that again one more time. To pray in the name of Jesus is to pray what Jesus would pray if he were in your position. When we understand this in the context of Christ as the perfect man and our exemplar, it means to pray for the right things, to seek the will of God and not our own desires. And whatever we ask the Father in the name of Jesus Christ, that will be given to us. Let me summarize what he said to you. To pray in the name of Jesus means to pray in three ways. It means, first of all, to pray knowing that his authority and his power is behind us and really what causes results in prayers. It means to pray in a way that honors him. And it means to pray in a way that is in line with what he would want if he were in our shoes. It means to pray for, I'm going to repeat, it means to pray for The glory of God, it means to pray knowing that it's God's power that will result in what we're asking. And it means to pray in line with what Jesus himself would pray. Throwing on in Jesus' name at the end of a prayer means nothing. If the rest of the prayer has not been about Jesus and with Jesus in mind, 
and with his power at the center of our prayers. Let me read you a few other, two other verses, passages in the Bible that really kind of say the same thing in a different way, but it helps us to understand more fully what Jesus is talking about. John 15, 5 through 8. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Notice two things about the passage. First of all, it speaks to being connected to Jesus, right? It's talking about being the, he is the vine and we are the branches and that means we're in him and we're being nourished by him and we're communicating with him and we're, we're just connected to him in a very real and powerful and spiritual way. Second of all, it again brings up the topic of God's glory. It is impossible to pray in the name of Jesus if we're not focused on bringing worship to the creator of the universe. And Jesus makes that clear here. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says this, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Another passage says, you do not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Notice the themes that just keep emerging. It's all about the worship of God. It is connected to Jesus. Fruit throughout the New Testament refers to glorifying God, bringing honor to the creator of the universe. Sometimes it takes the form of being a person who is growing and becoming more Christ-like who is adding virtues to their lives. Other times it takes the form of leading people to Christ through our witness. But it's always about the honor of God. Now here's, here's the thing. You say, well, this is boring. Who cares about the honor of God? I want my new job. Right? Isn't that kind of why you're interested in this sermon series? Because you want your job. And, and, and you know, you might think, well, what about me getting a job? And here's what I have to say to you. If getting a new job or a job does not bring glory to God and it's not in line with what Jesus would want, then you should stop praying for a job. Now that said, God talks about how he wants us to work if we are able, and so therefore I think it's good to pray about a job. But the principle still stands. If it doesn't bring glory to God and it's not something that Jesus would pray himself, then don't pray it. You might say, what about the new car I need? Something that I've been asking for for a long time. I want a free car that I can use to do ministry with. And, and I'm asking God and I'll continue to ask God. I started a long time ago during a different sermon series. We're like two sermon series removed and I'm still asking. And here's what I say to myself. If getting a new car does not bring glory to God and it's not something that Jesus would ask for, then I shouldn't be praying about it. It just shouldn't be coming out of my mouth. I mean, think about this. What, I mean, just listen to this prayer. What if you heard me praying this? Hey, God, I want a million dollars so I can buy a nicer house and a car and look cooler to the world. In Chad's name, amen. You say, well, that's blasphemy. You cannot say that. That is bad, what you just said. But you're only focused on the last part. 
in Chad's name. But the truth is, the whole prayer that I just read to you was in Chad's name. Every aspect of it was for me. It was by my power. It was to my glory. And so when you pray, if you say, hey, God, I want a car and I want a house and I want to look cooler and make me better looking and give me better food to eat because I really need some more flavor in my life and, and God, just make me cooler and make me hipper and make me better and make people like me more, you might as well end it within Chad's name, amen, because that is what you are praying for. When you say in Jesus' name, you're saying, I'm praying something Jesus would pray. I'm praying something that I I know can only happen through the power of God. Or I'm praying in a way that understands that prayer is only answered through the power of God. And I'm praying something that is going to bring glory to God, not just myself. Truth is, we don't see as many answers to prayer as we would like. Because we're focused on ourselves. Now, honestly, it's okay to pray things. It's okay to pray for that new car. Fine. No big deal. Keep coming to God. Keep coming to Him and persist and say, God, I want this. But understand that a lot of times He'll say no to those things. But the promise is, this is the real promise, that if we are praying things, recognizing the power of Jesus... Praying things that he would pray if you were in our situation and praying things that bring glory to the Father, then Jesus is saying quite clearly, I will say yes to your prayers. I guarantee that those prayers will be answered affirmatively. That's a really big deal. And let me tell you the biggest problem with the American church today is that we are all about ourselves. And so our prayers reflect that. And we don't see God moving in the way that we desire, some of us desire, to see God move because we aren't asking for things that bring glory or fame to God. We are asking things that bring glory and fame to ourselves. And we ought to stop fooling ourselves by throwing in Jesus' name at the end of it. Because we're not praying in the name of Jesus. We're praying in the name of self. The truth is, this is what you need to understand as we close on prayer. You have two choices. You can live a regular life where you just get by and it's all about you. Totally self-focused. Or you can live a life that matters. And I genuinely believe that most people, somewhere inside of them, want to live a life that matters. We want to live lives that will continue on even after we die, that has real purpose. In fact, I think most people in our country are unhappy because they're, they're thinking like, oh, if I could just get to the next step, I'd find you know, meaning and purpose and I'd feel good about myself and everything would make sense. If I could just get that, that new boyfriend, that new girlfriend, if I could just get that new job, if I could just get that new car, then I'd be satisfied and life would feel meaningful all of a sudden. And then they get to it and they get the next thing and it just doesn't matter to them. And they continually living their lives thinking, I wish I had purpose and I wish I had meaning and I wish this meant something. And Jesus is saying that if we will make a choice to follow him and live for him and be sold out to him and, and live lives that are focused on his worship and his fame, then we have the promise of saying, hey, Jesus, this is what I need to make that happen. So do it, please. And he will say yes. He sits at the right hand of the Father And he's our best friend and he's the one that we're trying to glorify. And he's saying, hey, Father, they need this in order to bring us glory, to move your purposes forward on the earth. And and God's 
powerful. And so, therefore, we will receive what we ask for in these types of prayers. And here's my hope for you. It's halfway about prayer and it's halfway about life. I I really hope, I really desire that you will be a person who stops being regular and starts to live a life, starts to even want to live a life that has a real purpose and a real meaning because you come to a relationship with Jesus and then you say, I'm sold out to your purposes because your purposes are all that matters in this world. And the good news for you is that Jesus says it will happen. You know, I mean, we don't have a guarantee of of much in life, right? I mean, if your goal is to be rich, good luck. I mean, if your goal is to be famous someday, good luck. But if your goal is to do great works for the glory of God, then you have a guaranteed yes. I just want to read two more verses that sum up what our prayer should be about. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says... So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do you think that would probably include something as spiritual as prayer? I mean, if we're supposed to eat and drink for the glory of God, don't you think we should pray for the glory of God? One more, Colossians 3.17, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. When you leave today and you examine your prayer life and you continue to try to pray focused on the worship of God and focused on Him as Father and and, and you try to pray and, and believe that things are going to happen and you try to pray audaciously asking God for big things that that are impossible aside from Him and you pray persistently saying, God, I won't relent. What I want you to add to that is an examination of who your prayers are all about. When you get to the end of your prayers tonight and this week... Ask yourself this question. Should I pray in my name or should I pray this in the name of Jesus? And if the former is true, then you need to go back and you need to pray again and you need to pray differently. If the latter is true, then you need to trust God. You need to trust Him that He will bring what is best and what is good and what is right for your life. Saying yes to the things that you ask because he wants to be glorified. He wants to be worshipped. He even sent his son here to die so that he could be worshipped more fully. Live a life that matters by praying for things that have eternal purpose and glorify God. Lord, I want to pray well, Lord, after that sermon. Uh, I would ask God that, that in our hearts you would work and, and you would you would cause us to be people that care about the things that you care about. God, I I pray that you would cause all of us to be people who desire to see you glorified and not to see ourselves glorified. And Jesus, we, some of us here believe that you stepped out of heaven to die on a cross for us. And God, I pray that 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 truth would drive everything that we do. And and our lives would be a response to that. Father, the disciples left everything to follow your son before the death and resurrection. And now we live looking back at that, God, knowing how much that, that your son paid that you paid Jesus on the cross and how painful and horrific it was. And and Lord, all the more, I just ask that you would cause us to live lives that are just pure and simply a reflection of that and a response to that. 
Jesus, I, I pray that when we ask for money or jobs or cars, whatever we might ask for, that we would remember and desire even, God, for those things to not happen if it's not going to be for your worship and your fame. I pray, God, that, that you would respond to our prayers in miraculous and big ways. I pray that we would be a church, God, who always thinks about the fact that we should want what you want and what is best for you and your name on this planet. And there's things that we want to see, Jesus. There's things that we would like to see happen. Uh, there are things that we want to do. You know, I have ideas every single week that I say, wow, that would be really good. That would be good for our church. That would be good for God. But Jesus, I, I pray that we always, as a church, would, would say, yeah, that seems great, but if that is not the best for your worship, God, then, then don't let it happen. Even if it makes us look good, even if it grows our church, we want to see what you want, God, and what is best for you. Lord, I pray that we would be a church of prayer. I pray, God, that we would pour out our hearts to you consistently, but I pray that our hearts would be hearts that, that are focused on you and in love with you and in passion for your glory and your fame on this planet. God, I pray that everybody here would have a, a relationship with you, that they would come to the place where they are believers if they're not. And, and God, I pray that every person here would live lives that are so different from the rest of the world in their purpose and their intent and their desires. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.